The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Ephesians um, chapter 4, 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, unto Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is a reading of the word. Thank you, Ariel. Pray with me. Father, we need to think your thoughts after you. We need to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We need to be utterly submissive to your word, most importantly, the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray this morning that by your spirit you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray that you would give us boldness to repent. We pray that you would give us conviction of sin and yet confidence in your love for us through Jesus Christ that we might not be destroyed by your law, but we might be Push forward to health and life. Oh God, I pray that you would help us to be your church. Help us to be your body. Help us to, to show the world the beauty of Jesus by how we love one another in response to your love for us. Oh God, for that to happen, you need to move mountains. But you're the God that moves mountains. You're the God that speaks and it it becomes whatever your will is. So we give our hearts to you. We give this church to you. Speak to us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
This week I, I started taking a new multivitamin. I turned 50 a couple of years ago and started researching vitamins and thought it was, you know, I really needed to, to begin taking one. And I found the, the top of the line vitamin and I've been taking it for the past year. But when it ran out, I decided that I would do some more research. You know how things are changing. And, and as I was researching new multivitamins, I, I kept seeing that the top-of-the-line vitamins were prescribing um, a different dosage than what I've been taking. Um, all of the top-of-the-line vitamins are, are prescribing like two in the morning and two at night. And I thought, man, that's crazy. I mean, who would take that many, you know, that, that many vitamins? And well, then the thought just kind of ran through my mind. Well, maybe I need to read the bottle of the vitamins that I bought a year ago, that I've been taking one a day for the last year. And sure enough, right there on the label, I never read the directions. Uh, right there on the label, it prescribed that I should have been taking two vitamins a day, two in the morning, two at night. Now. What's funny about that is the whole year I kept thinking, I don't think this vitamin's doing anything. What's wrong with this vitamin? I mean, you know, I thought, I'm doing my part. I'm living, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be healthy. I'm taking my vitamin. And yet I was not utilizing the vitamin in line with the designed purpose of the creator of the vitamin. Now, why do I tell you that? Because if I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. The church just ain't working for me. Jesus just isn't working for me. The, the Bible just isn't working for me. And, and, and I want to propose this morning, maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe it's not the church. Maybe it's not the Bible. Maybe it's you and me. You see, I went a whole year thinking I was walking in line, a line of health. But I was wasting my time because I wasn't submitting myself to the intended creation and design for the vitamin. Now, listen to me. My, one of my biggest fears in this series was that you're going to sit there and think, of course, Richard, I mean, he's going to make us feel guilty for how much church we miss. Listen to me. There, is, there are very few people in this room that have been more burned, more burned out, and more disillusioned with the church than me. I've spent, since I became a Christian in high school, since ninth grade in high school, I've spent my, my whole life, my whole Christian life inside the, the church, the organized church. And no one, I've not experienced more pain outside of the church than I have inside of the church. The question is not, is the church messed up? Yes. That's why we need Jesus so bad. The church is messed up. But the question is, what is God's design and what is His command and what is His nudge for us this morning and over the next several weeks in regard to how we utilize the church, how we utilize the Bible, how we approach Jesus? 
That's what I want us to look at this morning because something interesting happened. I started at the beginning of the week taking two vitamins in the morning and two vitamins at night and I have been sleeping and feeling better than I was when I was just taking one a day. Wow. I followed the directions. of the the designed impact for the vitamins, and all of a sudden, I'm getting the intended results. Well, just maybe the same applies when it comes to God, our Creator, and the design for His church, and the design for His Word, and the design for His Son in our lives. So that what I want to do this morning is just take a... We're just going to do kind of some broad strokes. And the first thing I want us to see, that if, if we're going to really understand Jesus's or God's intended desire for His church um, and His Word and, and, and Jesus in our lives, then we have to understand that the church is much more about God than you and me. Do you hear me? The church is much more about God than you and me. Uh, over Labor Day weekend, as I stated last weekend, uh, Rachel and I kept our four grandchildren, seven and under. And I took the boys, we have three grandsons and, and a daughter, and I took the boys to the playground one morning. And Bennett had a cast on, uh, he got it off this week, but he had a cast on one arm. And um, um, Silas, and, and Bennett's five, and Silas, who is three, um, he, you know, he's three. So, so Bennett and, and Silas took more of my attention because they wanted to swing. And, and Bennett has, you know, one arm. So he's got the other arm in a cast. And Silas can't swing himself at three. And so I'm pushing them and I'm giving them all my attention. And I, and I kind of remember that I was, you know, um, hadn't seen Braden in a while who uh, is seven. So I looked over and Braden, I can tell, is, is, is kind of sulking. And I just kind of yelled over and said, hey, Brayden, what's going on? He said, I'm bored. <clears throat> and I'm 52 years old. I know he's not bored. He's on a playground. The, the problem was not that he was bored. The problem was he wasn't getting my attention. The, the problem was he was feeling sorry for himself. And when we come to Ephesians, what we hear from Paul is this. He tells us in verse 15, grow up. Grow up. And I think we need to hear that. He said, look, you don't want to be children. The children of God don't want to be children that, you know, are so immature that they're being tossed here and there. And it's all about their emotions and it's all about them. Paul says, grow up. And I think we need to hear that because when we're coming to church thinking church is about us, we are going to be dissatisfied. It doesn't matter what church we go to. And, and so Paul says grow up, but, but what is maturity? What, what is it? He talks about mature manhood. Grow up in mature manhood. What is that? Grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. And, and he says building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And what Paul is saying is, is that the body can't exist when it forgets its head. When it forgets what's there, when it forgets who's calling the shots, when it, when it forgets that, that we are under the, the submission and, and under the rule of a head, and his name is Jesus. When we forget it's about him, then church goes awry. And we lose our witness in the world, and yes, we are the mess that maybe we are today. 
That's what Paul is saying. And so we collectively are the body of Jesus, and each of us are part of His body. And it's interesting, our purpose in the church is not to simply take. But Paul says, look, if you're an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, a teacher, just a believer, your focus is to build up the body of Christ. So what he's saying is, is that you are here not to get, but to give. The purpose of church for you and me is to provide a community that we give ourselves away in. That we are literally building up the body of Christ. That we are coming not just to take love from people, but to give love. To notice when someone's hurting. To grieve when our brothers and sisters are feeling loss. To cry with those that are crying. To laugh with those that are laughing. To be one body. To be attuned to other believers around us. And and the way that that's going to happen is that we are steeped in the knowledge of the Son of God. That's what Paul says. And what does he mean by this? Common knowledge is agreement. When we all agree about what Christianity is about, we have immediate, immediate affinity. I kind of saw this, how knowledge leads to affinity. I went to the Denver Bronco training camp a couple of summers. No, it was last August. August a year ago. Um... And, um, you know, Paxton Lynch, I mean, he, that was his first year with the Denver Broncos. And so I went to the training camp and I watched them, you know, practice. And then after practice, the, the, many of the players come toward the crowd and you can talk to them. Well, I was trying to get to Paxton Lynch and, um, there were just too many people trying to get to him. And so finally he started walking away and there was one person in front of me. I was, I was that close. And so I just instinctively said, um, Hey, Paxton, I came all the way from Memphis to see you. And he immediately turned around and came back. And I got my selfie uh, with Paxton. (laughs) Now, why did he do that? Because we're from Memphis. I mean, that meant nothing to anybody else around. But to Paxton, it meant something. We're from Memphis. We have a common affinity. But when we say we are Christians, that this is why doctrine is so important. This is why it is so vital for us to be in agreement over what the Scriptures teach. Because it's only common agreement that produces common community. And there is no better knowledge than of what Jesus has done as described and revealed in His written Word. That's what Paul has been giving in the first couple of chapters. Chapter 1, In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. If we just took those two verses, we could spend a year... In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself. Every word is dripping with meaning, dripping with power. We are not an afterthought. He he knew that we would be sinners. He knew that we would rebel against Him. And in love He predestined us to be adopted. We were orphans. 
That's why I was raising my hands as we were singing that song about God adopting orphans. I was such an orphan. But now I've been adopted through the finished work of Jesus, the very Son of God, through His life, death, and resurrection. It is so different from every other religion because every religion holds the carrot out and says, Jump! But Christianity says, you can't jump high enough, so Jesus came and He did it for you. And that's the love of God for me. And it was not, He's not just there waiting on me in love. He predestined me. He planned for me. He chose me. Why? Not because I was good. He gets to that in the next chapter. And you were dead in trespasses and sins. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. For by grace you have been saved. He's repeating Himself over and over and over. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of your works like every other religion. You don't perform to get God's love. If God's love depended on your performance, you would be a hated group of people. You would be a hated person, and so would I. No, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Dripping with power, dead in sin, made alive in Christ Jesus, friends of God, adopted sons and daughters. Do you understand why it's vital for us to to agree with that? Because when we agree with the doctrine of salvation, we agree that it's about Jesus and not about me. I mean, that's it. And then secondly, living for the good of our head Jesus and His body is a beautiful life. It's more beautiful than anything we we could choose ourselves. And that's what's so beautiful about God's wisdom is there's such practicality to it. And we, the whole world gets it instinctively. Did you see the, uh, the video of the USC um, game, I think it was a week ago, uh, of the blind um, snapper, long snapper? I want you to see it. You've got to see it. Trojans. It's now a 17-point game as we check in with Lewis. Well, Roxy, you know, it's not usual that a team would take a timeout after a touchdown, but here's what may be happening. USC has a blind snapper, and his name is Jake Olson, and there may be some communication going on right now between USC and Western Michigan coaches to alert them that the Trojans are about to put him in to snap this uh, extra point. Everybody should know that uh, Olson has been blind since he was 12 years old, and for two years Actually, he was a varsity long snapper for field goals and extra points at Orange Lutheran High in Southern California. And he snaps some uh, passes, snaps some uh, kicks at USC spring games, but he's never done this in a live football game. So here he is. So Jake Olson, how about this for an inspirational moment? He is out there snapping. Sideline. 
sideline by Wyatt Schmidt and Clay Helton and his team. Just what a phenomenal moment here at the Coliseum, Lewis. I gotta tell you, um, guys, I've covered a little bit of sexual difficulties, but you get the point. They put in this kid who has been blind his entire life. Unbelievable. As I watch that, I actually have never had a positive thought about USC football. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I was like, okay, that's amazing. Um, but you know what? It's not as amazing as it could be. I mean, that was glorious to a point. I mean, what would be really glorious would be if they made him the starting snapper. If the whole team said, we're willing to to just put our whole season on the line for him. But they're not going to do that. Why? Because it's not the role of a football team to do that kind of thing. It's their role to win. But whose role is it to push the weakest among us up? The church. Who is it to use our strength and our maturity? Just like on the playground when my oldest grandson was feeling left out, he was being left out. Why? Because he's older and he doesn't need my help. He needs to be over there helping me push the younger ones. See, that's the church. We are to be thinking not about ourselves, but about our neighbor. We're to be thinking not about just our pain, but the pain of those around us, our family. And we are to be this beautiful community that dies to self to live to the other. Our call is to build one another up in love. To use whatever gift we have to build each other up. That's it. Is that why you are going to community group? Is that why you are coming to church? Is that, that's why we have this greeting time. It's not just some social time. It is my hope and prayer that during that greeting, I, I'm, it's been my hope and prayer, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, um, that during that time that somebody would notice somebody that was really down and bring them up. Maybe that somebody was thinking about taking their own life when they came to this place, but somebody saw them, hugged them, said thank you for being here, sat with them, invited them to community. Folks, that's what the church is to be. We are to be this self-sacrificing picture that the world stands back and looks at and says, yes, but it's a place for us to be what we were redeemed to be, namely servants. I was so encouraged this week, I came across an article that uh, was written by um, a, a professor at the University of California in Berkeley. Now, just the bastion of liberalism, okay? And, and she was writing about why she went back to the church. And um, she was giving some, uh, you know, writing basically her argument for what a healthy church is. And one thing she said was this. She said, a healthy church helps you get over yourself. Isn't that beautiful? A healthy church gets, helps you get over yourself. And then she wrote this. 
She said, in a healthy church, you begin to recognize yourself as someone with gifts to give. Time, money, energy, expertise. And you begin to want to give them. Because the grace that comes with giving is suddenly so startlingly apparent. You find a compassionate curiosity growing in you that leads you into conversation with people you might otherwise have avoided. See, that is what the body is to be. It's not an organization. It's an organism. Is there order to it? Yes. Is there structure to it? Yes. God has placed that there. But the order and the structure serves the organism of the body of which we are all part. And so that is why just having deacons is not enough. That's why having elders is just not enough. It is our role to be equipping and encouraging good work and good understanding and knowledge among God's people. It's our role to push you to move toward others. And see, when that is happening, uh, we don't need as much organization (laughs) because we are the organism. Working, serving, living for the other. And then thirdly and finally, the missing element really today in all of this that Paul points out is that we've got to speak the truth in love. How do we do it? How do we build up the body? Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. Speaking the truth in love. My five-year-old grandson, uh, during August, got his finger caught in a closing door and basically severed the end of his finger off. Um, Went to the Bonner, and they performed a surgery and then went to a hand specialist who performed another surgery. Um, And he just got it cast off. He was pinned. They pulled the pin out. He's, He's got full motion of his finger. The hand surgeon said, I really can't believe the first surgeon didn't just amputate. It was that bad. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, I really feel like this is what Paul is calling us to in the church. You see, if that doctor, whoever he was on that night at Le Bonheur, was just impatient and uncaring and, you know, man, i got to get home, I'm tired, just cut the thing off, just sew it up. If he had been unempathetic, if he had not done his job and been true to his calling, then it wouldn't have the end of his finger. But he was willing to say, I'm going to do everything I know to do for the sake of this kid in the midst of this traumatic event. Now, those that speak truth only don't do it in love. And they don't care about you at all. And yet, those that say they're all about love are not about the truth of God either. And therefore, it's really not love. I mean, only the church can be a community that is speaking truth and love in the context of love. And notice that Paul doesn't say, speak the truth and love to the world. It says, speak the truth and love to each other. How are we going to change our neighbor? It's not by necessarily speaking the truth and love to them all the time. 
It's not by out there on the streets just condemning the world with God's law. You're all living in sin and you're going to hell. It's by coming in the body. See, even church discipline, we are to take each other's sins seriously. And we are to completely understand that people outside of the church are not taking sin seriously. But we've got it reversed. We're afraid to be the community of God where we're confronting each other. Where we're, we're speaking truth in love and we're focused on what's going on out there expecting them to, to act like we are supposed to be acting. But Paul says, no. Speak truth and love to each other. Be so full of the love of God that you love your neighbor enough. It should be the last thing you want to do, but it should be the very thing that you do because you are compelled by love. If you see your brother living in sin, then go and meet with him. Meet with her. Plead with him. Go as a sinner. Go as one saved solely by grace. And go in love. And speak the truth in love. How do we do that? Just simply look at how God treats you. He loves you. Oh, how we worship God for how much He loves us this morning. And that's what Paul does in Ephesians. That's his prayer. He falls on his knees in prison, praying for the Ephesian believers to know how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God for them. So that they might be empowered to be the people of God. Oh, dear church... We must be about the truth of God that we might be about the love of God. Paul references this in Galatians 5.6. He said, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. I mean, that's just name it in the church. What's the issue in the church? It's, that's not the issue. It's not this side or that side. But what counts is faith working through love. What does that mean? It means Richard Reeves, before I go to anybody in this church, it's Richard Reeves being saturated with the truth of God and believing it for myself. It is by grace I have been saved through faith, and this not of myself, it's the gift of God. So that no one can boast. Richard, you can't go boasting saying, hey, be like me. You've got to go saying, I get your sin. (laughs) And I'm guilty of a lot of it, maybe all of it, too. But I love you enough to call you back. Are we willing to be a place and to be a community that speaks truth and love? You know, in our individualistic society today, people feel like they can just podcast a sermon and go about their life. Why do I need the church? It's because you need someone speaking into your life and you need to be speaking into someone else's life. And if that's not happening, you're not growing. Now listen to me. I would dare say there are very few people in this room that listen to more sermons than than I do. But that is not where I grow. It's where I get knowledge. It's where I get ideas. It's where I, you know, I I use sermons like I use commentaries. I get different insights. But that's not how I grow. You know how I grow? In community with you. 
Do you know nine years ago before I came to this church, I had never lifted my hands in worship or felt the freedom to be verbal and, and even dance and work? I, how did, the, how did it happen? How did this change come? I was challenged by my community as I witnessed and watched and as I discussed with men like Chris Davis and others. And I went to the Scriptures and I realized, wait a minute, the Scriptures command me to raise my hands. They command me to dance. They command me to clap my hands. Well, that's not reformed. I mean, that's what my tradition... Everybody's got a tradition. Well, what is reformed? It is submitting to the Word of God. Well, most people aren't reformed. They think they're reformed because they're holding tradition over the Word. I mean, do you... Do you see that? How does Richard get that, that the beauty in... And I'm not saying... Just hear me. I can tell you justice issues. I was not nearly in tune and aligned with issues of justice in our culture and our city as I am now. I mean, not even remotely close. But why am I now? Because I'm in a community that is speaking truth and love and I'm listening and I'm learning and I'm growing. I mean, that is changing me. This church has changed me. Rachel was saying the other night to somebody that I used to wear suits and a black robe on Sunday mornings to preach. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just saying that I'm, I've changed. Why? Because of you. You can't get that through a podcast. You can't short-circuit the church. Does the church need to do better? Yes. Does downtown church need to do better? Absolutely. But how's it going to if you start engaging? And you start speaking the truth in love. If you start immersing yourself in God's Word and becoming humble and living a lifestyle of repentance and, and faith and submitting to other believers around you and listening and learning and challenging and hearing and changing others. That's how this whole thing works. There is nothing more beautiful. And if you commit your life to it over the long haul, it will shape you and change you. And it will change us. Just this week, I got a, an email and I had someone say they wanted to meet with me and we met for lunch. And those two people were saying the exact, they were challenging me and just leadership in the church and they were both on two different sides of the same issue. And you know what? I needed to hear both. It's through that. And I, I thanked them. I encouraged them. I said, thank you so much for coming to me. Let's keep talking and learning from each other. See, that's how it works. It's not this dictatorship. It's not, but it's community life. But you have to risk and you have to engage. And the only way to do that, how do you get the power to do it? How has Richard been able to stay in the church for however long I've been in the church, since ninth grade in high school? Jesus. You see... You don't define my joy. You don't define my self-image. You don't, I don't even need you to agree with me. Why? Because I'm rooted ultimately in Christ and His love for me. Does that mean I'm a jerk when I, no. I say that out of love. You, no matter what you say, yeah, can I be hurt? Absolutely. But you can't destroy me. 
Because Jesus is my life. Do you see, it's only when we're all drawing down on, 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 on the grace and the work of Jesus personally and daily that we can begin to speak the truth in love. We can risk in our relationships. And so are you steeped in the truth and love of God for you? Are, are you living your life, immersing yourself in His Word? Are, are you growing closer to Jesus are you processing in community your skepticism, your doubts, your fear? What Are you in community inside the church? See, we've got sign-ups for community groups out there. We're starting this, you know, equip hour next Sunday. And, and we're also, you know, the children are going to be doing catechism, and I'm so excited. And, and the, the adults are going to be doing this Bible project thing. There's like a five to seven minute video that is awesome. It is so, it's very illustrated. I'm much more visual learner. You, you need to come to this. But guess what? You can go to community group and you can even come on Sunday mornings and not be changed. It's not about activity. It's about engaging and opening your heart and your mind and coming as a humble learner and coming as a humble human being saying, I need other people. I can't do life alone. And I'm willing to risk. And if I get hurt, then I'm going to draw down on the love of Jesus and keep coming. And I'm going to confront, but I'm going to listen. May God's grace and love be so powerful and so permeating this community that we become what we are to become, that we are about truth and grace and we are about pushing up the weakest among us. That the world might know. That they might watch the video of the church and go, okay, that's glory. I don't understand it, but that's glory. And I want more of it. Pray with me. God, thank You. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your church. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for Your work. God, I pray that You would just pour out Your Spirit upon us this morning, that You would change how we think about church, that we would, You would change how we think about Your Word and Your Son. And God, that You would make us what You would have us be. God, do it for Your glory. Do it for Your honor. We give our lives to You, Lord. Be with those in this room that that may have never given their hearts to You, God. Help them to give their hearts to You right now. Because if that desire is there, it's because in love You predestined them before the foundation of the world to be adopted as a son or a daughter. God, bring them in this morning. Bring them into the family. God, we look forward to what You're going to do through this series. And we give it to You in Jesus' holy name. Amen.